Welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. We are fortunate to have several very good treatments for those suffering from psychiatric problems. Therefore, we need to have a good balance in our heads as we approach and choose from the different modalities. One very effective tool is psychotherapy. But over the years, there has been the development of multiple forms of psychotherapy, and it can be confusing to know which one to use, what are some of the differences, how things are framed, and so on. Stefan Pasternak is a psychiatrist who practices psychodynamic psychotherapy, but he is also quite knowledgeable and very open to many of the other modalities, and he very kindly joins us today to give us a review of the general principles of psychotherapy and the various factors and styles involved in this very effective therapeutic process. Dr. Pasternak, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, you're welcome. And I think it's very important that people understand that just because someone calls themselves a therapist doesn't necessarily mean they have extensive training and discipline in it. We have to start off with sort of a broad-based definition of what we mean by psychotherapy. Please. And this generally involves the treatment of mental and emotional disorders by verbal and nonverbal communications with the patient. The idea is to be in the mind of the patient and to try to understand how their mind is functioning, what adversities they're running into, and to do a very careful, thorough diagnostic evaluation. People have to be trained in the different diagnostic categories of mental disorder because that's the basis then for deciding what kind of treatment and then what form of therapy would best be used. There is a lot of discussion about what is the character, the style, the, the intent of the therapeutic relationship. Above and beyond necessarily learning to be a therapist, it's understanding what type of relationship should the therapist have with the patient. Can you just comment about this incredibly powerful component of psychotherapy, which again is the therapeutic relationship? What's it all about? The therapeutic relationship is the cornerstone of all forms of therapy, whether you're talking about cognitive behavior therapy, the most intense form of therapy, which is intensive psychoanalytic psychotherapy or psychoanalysis, family therapy or couples therapy. The doctor-patient relationship either help or harm the treatment. A very positive relationship helps the patient and the therapist face unpleasant thoughts, feelings, memories, and the patterns that were laid down on a person's childhood are likely to be reenacted with the therapist. So a therapist has to have an understanding of how they should work with the patient. And above all, there have to be very clear boundaries. Psychotherapy does not involve getting into business deals with your patient. It does not involve dating patients. Generally speaking, physical contact interferes with mental exploration. The whole idea is to help the patient understand what's troubling them and then decide what their goals are and then we decide what would be the best form of therapy. You have to be very careful to make sure that a therapist understands what the boundaries are. And that, I would imagine, also is a reflection of how accurate the diagnosis is, that you really know what the issues are that need to be addressed and, as much as possible, what caused the problem. And it's very important. I know when I speak to people, a lot of times, after a while, they'll say, wow, no one ever asked me that before. And I said, well, I need to know it. 
looking at, you have to have a solid grounding in how a mind is developed. And that means you have to have a clear understanding of childhood, adolescent, young adult, and later life phases of development, and how a boy becomes a man, how a girl becomes a woman. And if you don't understand developmental psychology, you're not going to have a clear insight into the early patterns of child adversities, the experiences that contribute to later on adult problems. And consistently, research continually shows that later life problems often originated in basic relational patterns and experiences that got laid down earlier in life. You have to understand developmental psychology. So let's, if we can, again, define a little bit. Psychoanalytic therapy, psychodynamic-oriented psychotherapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, confusing. There are certain things that all forms of therapy have in common. One of the key things we've already talked about is the importance of the relationship. All forms of therapy agree on that. Now, Every form of therapy has to have a theory of how illness happens. Generally speaking, all forms of therapy agree that early life experiences influence the developing brain and mind and can create patterns that later cause trouble. The second thing is each form of therapy has to have a series of techniques. That is, what is the therapist supposed to do to overcome the developmental problems the person has. You have a theory of how illness happens. You have to have a theory of how treatment works. This is where there are differences. Cognitive behavior therapy, for example, is focused on the distorted cognitive patterns, the maladaptive thought that result in abnormal behavior. If you get a person to understand their negative thinking patterns so they can avoid distortions of thought, doomsday thinking, polarized thinking, all or nothing thinking, cognitive therapy tries to change the basic thoughts a person has so they can change their behavior. And generally speaking, the therapists are more active and guide the treatment and often assign homework assignments and workbooks to help them with the therapy. Now, psychoanalytic forms of psychotherapy are also evidence-based for their effectiveness in a variety of disorders. But here, the approach is very different. The focus is on emotion. The focus is on how a person experienced something and also what meaning they assign to it. So you are concerned about thought, but the emotional experiences is you're trying to help a person overcome intense emotional states that have been repressed. The techniques then try to allow a person to start talking freely by themselves in the most intense forms of therapy where you're meeting three or four or five times a week and maybe using a couch, the patient says whatever comes to their mind and gradually the analytic therapist is able to see certain patterns where a person avoids facing unpleasant emotions, doesn't face their bad attitudes or behaviors. And so you begin to get a picture of how the person's mind is functioning and then you help them gain insight into their patterns of behavior so that they can change it. There's a lot of focus on what a person tries to avoid. So very often, 
as soon as a patient comes for psychodynamic psychotherapy, they come late, they forget their appointments, they fall silent. And these are defensive behaviors because they're trying to avoid facing something about which they have sadness or anger or hurt or pain. And so you try to help a person understand the defenses their mind uses to avoid facing different things. That then helps them understand certain patterns of behavior and helps them understand what they're doing wrong in their current relationships. All forms of therapy, we have to be clear that we don't want to dwell in the past. We're not trying to blame mothers or fathers for their mistakes. We're trying to help a person understand that those early life experiences were encoded indelibly in the cerebral cortex and memory areas and continue to exert an unconscious effect. And then they don't understand why they do what they do. So often the patient will tell me, I knew I shouldn't have done it. It went against my grain, but I did it anyway. And then you're trying to figure out, well, why would you do something self-defeating when you know it's not a good idea? And that is one of the mysteries of the mind, how people unwittingly trip themselves up. And trying to help a person figure out what are the mysteries of my mind what are the contradictions in my behavior, thoughts, or feelings? And then where did I get them? And what am I going to do to change them? Now, let's just talk for a minute something you, you were asking about. And how do you know what form of therapy? Well, we have very good random controlled studies on psychoanalytic forms of therapy, which include psychodynamics, uh, cognitive behavior therapy, and somewhat on interpersonal therapy. It's hard to get double-blind, random-controlled studies on family therapy or couples therapy or group therapy because they're so much more complicated. But we pretty much have good data to show that psychodynamic, psychoanalytic forms of therapy are proven to be effective for anxiety disorders, mood disorders, personality disorders such as borderline personality, PTSD, panic disorders, and most substance abuse disorders. And similarly, cognitive behavior therapy has evidence to show that it is effective for most of the same disorders as I've already mentioned. So then how do you decide what form of therapy? Part of that also depends upon the goals of the therapy. People often don't pin that down at the beginning or update it as they go along. Here's a case, for example, a young woman comes for help because she's depressed over the breakup of a six-month relationship. She thought things were going well and then without warning the boyfriend break with her. We look at what went on in the relationship we look a little bit about what her relationship and her families were. She seemed to have a good relationship with her father, so why should she have trouble with this guy? But then we could see certain problems on the guy's part that both of them were not facing and that he wanted more from her and wanted to live a different kind of life than she did. He wanted to travel. She wanted to stay close to home. The therapy was circumscribed, and in about 20 to 30 sessions, she overcame her misfortune and was ready to resume. So the goal of therapy was to figure out what went wrong in the relationship and help her overcome her distress. Now, let's say six months later or a year later, the woman comes back, and now she gives the history that she's never fallen in love. She never has had a relationship that went on more than six months. Now you're dealing with a much more complicated problem. This is not a recent 
stressful event that's caused trouble, this is an ingrained pattern of relationship experience that is going to take much more investigation to find out how it went wrong, why can't she feel love, and what does she do to sabotage relationships. The goal of therapy now is going to be a long-term exploratory psychotherapy. I agree with you entirely. One of the confusions that continuously comes up is the role of medication in psychotherapy. I do not see them as mutually exclusive. They can help each other, but we seem to be drifting so much to just, if you're anxious, take a medication. It doesn't necessarily fix the problem or it may require us, as you said at the beginning, to spend the time to get a real diagnosis as much as we can of what's triggering the anxiety. It takes time. It takes a lot of time sometimes. The question about medication speaks to the question of software versus, shall we say, hardware. If a person has this depression where they can't sleep, they're losing weight, they can't concentrate, they're not functioning well, then the idea is that whatever the stressors are have so affected her brain that her neurochemistry is disturbed. And if the hardware isn't working, then the software can't run. You can talk blue in the face to someone who's in a severe depression. They're not going to follow what you're saying. They're not going to be able to take it in, integrate it, realize what needs to be done, gain some insight. You have to make sure that neural circuits are working. Now, remember, every single thing we think or feel goes through a neural circuit, everything. If those synapses are down in the frontal lobe, processing insight isn't going to happen very effectively. The therapist, the screening person, has to be sophisticated enough to be able to recognize when there is an underlying anxiety disorder that requires treatment with medication to foster the benefits of psychotherapy. Psychotherapy starts at the cerebral cortex, and it helps modify thinking and feeling patterns that then trickle down to the lower centers of the brain. But more severe anxiety and depressive disorders originate deeper in the brain where there are abnormal circuits and memory patterns in the hippocampus, amygdala, and then they project up and disrupt thinking and feeling patterns. But you have to have a therapist who, if they're not a, a psychiatrist with an MD background, at least is willing to say, as part of our evaluation, I'm a psychologist or social worker, I can't prescribe medication, but to just make sure I'm not missing something, I'd like you to have a consultation with a psychopharmacologist or a psychiatrist. Let's get their opinion at the beginning of therapy, and then we'll see where we go from there. Now, medications are often preferred by a lot of people. There's one study on panic disorders among veterans and it turned out that veterans in New York preferred insightful psychotherapy, whereas veterans in Philadelphia preferred drugs. Part of the treatment does involve a patient's preference. People come in and say, look, doc, I don't want to mess around with my thoughts or feelings. I don't care what happened in my childhood. I just want this to stop. And so sometimes the medication will solve the problem. It won't prevent it from recurring. And if they stop the medication, it may come back. But those are discussions that you have to have with the patient 
as part of the doctor-patient relationship, what kind of therapy do you want? Do I agree with you? If not, go see somebody else to solve your problem. I am often seriously concerned when someone is having a relationship problem. It's evident that they are not thinking clearly in terms of good logic and understanding the etiology of their feelings, and they go and they get a medication or they want to speak to somebody two or three times, and that's it. Those people, from my experience, sadly do not have the potential for the success that we want. It may eliminate some of the symptoms, maybe like feeling panicky, but that's it. So is there, and I know this is a very hard question, is there a sense of how long therapy should continue from two accounts? Number one, for the therapist to really get to understand what the patient is all about. And number two, for the patient to have time to process the changes that are being seen as necessary. Is it months? Is it years? I think a lot of people are too quick to say, oh, psychotherapy, I'm going to be in therapy forever. The rule of thumb is careful assessment of what's happening in the treatment situation. So let's take the case of the young woman I mentioned who has a breakup with her boyfriend. And now after the 10 or 12 sessions of once a week therapy, she doesn't feel it was her fault anymore. She's not doubting herself. She isn't feeling so sad. She's regained her optimism about her potential for a love relationship. But at the same time, she's starting to notice other things. She doesn't succeed academically because no matter how hard she studies, she never gets better than a C. She hasn't identified a career path. She's not sure what she wants to do with her life. So then we would say, well, look, you've improved over your initial symptoms and your initial reason for seeking help. But now I think we have to have more ambition for you and help you see other goals. Don't you want to do better in school? Do you have any idea as to what trouble you have studying or taking tests? What's your vision of yourself? And then you find out, well, no one else in my family ever went to college, and my parents really want me to come home and work in the family business. I would really like to be an engineer, but I keep screwing up my math exams. And so then you see she's got some other conflict, and she has some other issues that she has to overcome. How can she please her parents but please herself? And so the point of therapy is to monitor what's going on, keep developing new goals until the person says, you know, I'm, I'm really satisfied with where I am. And, oh, I understand what you're saying, but I've decided to go home and work in the family business. Okay, that's her choice in life. On the other hand, you don't want people to be in therapy as a way of avoiding life and expect the therapist to have magical answers. We're trying to help a person identify internal conflicts internal deficits, we don't know how to do something, and how to become more adaptable. If you keep assessing goals and whether you're making any progress at all, then you're doing okay. One of the things that, and I like the way you phrase it, the goal of therapy is to help the patient identify their erroneous patterns of thinking and to focus on thought patterns that are causing this and then change them. There used to be a sense that real deep psychoanalytic or insight-related psychotherapy was somehow connected to the ability to abstract, to have psychological insightfulness. 
And not everybody does. Not everybody does. But they can still benefit from psychotherapy. It just has to be structured to their cognitive and psychological skills. Your thoughts about something like that? I think that is a very important thing. For example, an engineer comes to see me. He's very logical. He doesn't express many feelings. He's unhappy with what he's doing in his life. He is computer-based. He's not interested in his dreams. Feelings are important, but he's more concerned about getting the job done. So I would say this is not a psychologically oriented person. He's not thinking about his feelings. He's more mechanical. He's going to do better with a structured workbook approach with a cognitive behavioral therapist. So I refer him to somebody else. That's a key ethical issue. You have to know what is the best thing for the patient. If I say to the guy, you know, look, I'm a psychoanalytically oriented person and you seem to be much more cognitively oriented, let's find someone who can treat you. That's the advantage of having different forms of therapy for different types of people. Research does show other forms of therapy can be equally effective. Got to refer them if appropriate. Which speaks so directly to the notion that the first person may not actually be the best, and there should be no hesitancy about acknowledging that, both on the part of the patient and the therapist, although you have sometimes, sometimes you have to give it time to develop a little bit, to be sure. That shows the maturity of the therapist as well. Yeah, well, that's your obligation. There are times in therapy when a person comes and they hope for change, and then you find over time that their capacity for change is limited, and that they have a troubled life that continues undermining what you're trying to achieve in therapy. And the patient knows that they're in a bad marriage that they don't want to get out of. The patient knows that their business partner is stealing money from them, but they don't want to fire them. And so what do you do? Very often you have to say to a patient, well, I don't think I can help you anymore. On the other hand, there are times when that person says, my wife has dementia and I'm not happy. I'm trying to avoid getting into an affair, but I still need help. And just coming to talk with you helps me get through my day. I know I can't change my life. And I don't even think at my age I can change myself, but I need someone to talk to. I think that's a very legitimate reason to continue to work with someone. It helps them cope. It gives them a, a yes. sanctuary where they can say whatever's on their mind. Yeah, but you have a mutual understanding about what's going on and why you're working together. This is a fascinating and obviously multifaceted and not easy to condense into the time allotment that we get with this interview. But it hopefully helps someone frame what they should expect from psychotherapy and at least, at least, at least if you're having some difficulty, try it, dart it, don't let it fester. Stefan Pasternak is a psychiatrist. Dr. Pasternak, this has been too short. Wish we had more time, but it's been good. I want to thank you so much for giving us your time and your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Nice talking with you.